We're in our series called Kingdom Rhythms, where we are looking at the spiritual rhythms that we keep in our Christian life, the spiritual habits, right? We call them spiritual disciplines that keep us in step with God and keep us plugged in to His power, His presence, and His provision in our lives. And we've been in Matthew chapter 6 for the last several weeks. We'll be there again today. And what we're looking at is this section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is primarily looking at three of these spiritual rhythms or these spiritual disciplines. He's looking at giving, at fasting, and praying. And he's, we, we dealt with giving and fasting in the first couple of weeks. And today and even next week, we're going to be unpacking what it is that Jesus has to say about prayer and this spiritual kingdom rhythm in our life. And so if you want to grab your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 6. We are going to be in verse 5 is where we will pick it up. It's a kind of a familiar section of the Sermon on the Mount. This is leading into when Jesus uh, teaches the uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. And so we're going to look at the verses leading up to that today, and the next week we'll dive into that. So Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 5. God's Word says this. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think They will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. I know we just prayed, but would you just pray with me again, and let's ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Lord, we come humbly uh, before you into the presence that has been made, the way being made by Jesus and So we come by way of our Savior into your presence, and we ask that you would meet with us, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would illuminate for us for the first time, or you would renew in us again the priority of prayer. And you would show us what it means, God, and you would show us how you have given it as a way of moving in our lives. So we need you, God. Illuminate your word. Draw it out for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to dive into what it is Jesus has to say here about prayer and how prayer is a means by which we engage the, the, the power of God in our life. I've got this lamp on the stage with me, and this lamp has a created purpose. It was made to do something, and what was this lamp made to do? What was it made to do? Put some light out, right? It was created for that. It's got all the right components. It's got uh, all, it's all ornamental. It's got this base. It's got this cable coming off the bottom here. It's got a shade. It's even got a light bulb in there. It's got this little uh, hood ornament thing on the top. I don't know what that is, but there it is. And so it's got everything it needs to shine light, to do it, except it innately within itself does not possess the power to do what it was created to do. This lamp has everything it needs, and yet 
If it doesn't engage the source of power, it cannot fulfill its created purpose. It can look like a lamp that works. It can have the appearance of being what, that it can do what it was created to do. But apart from it being plugged into the source, it cannot do what it was meant to do. And listen, believer, this morning, the same is true for us in this Christian life. The same is true for us as kingdom citizens. We have been called to be the light of the world. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, 14, 15, 16, right through there. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You, that's who we are. We have this God-ordained purpose, but we in ourselves do not naturally possess the power to do it. We do not have the power to shine. The, we need the power source. We need, um, we need the power that is outside of us to connect inside of us in order for us to be able to do what God created us to do. And listen to me, God's presence, God's presence is the source of power we need. His Holy Spirit at work in our lives is our source of power. And the cord that connects us, the extension cord that moves us from our created bodies and how we are put together, that the, 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 the source that connects us from our purpose to being able to engage that purpose is prayer. The extension cord, if you will, that connects this kingdom citizen to the source of power is prayer. It is why God has given it. It is the means by which we are able to encounter the presence of God in our life and in our church and experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And listen, this is why we are praying here at New Beginnings. This is why it, for the last nine weeks, we have put this new priority on prayer and we are going to stay with this priority on prayer because what we need is for God's manifest presence to be with us and for the Holy Spirit to move through us. If you want to know what we're praying for, we're praying for revival. We are praying for a renewed hunger for God. That's what we're doing. I'm asking God to renew a, a desperation in us for his presence and for his nearness and, and for God to blow through this place in a fresh way. And listen, some of you need that in your lives. We need it in our church and we need it in our lives. We need God to move this way. And when he moves, listen, it ain't going to have anything to do with our personality or our ability or our ministry strategies. It's going to have everything to do with our hunger for who he is and our pursuit of him in prayer to satisfy that hunger with his presence. And this prayer is the primary means by which our hunger for God is awakened and satisfied. So listen, I think there's some of us this morning who, if we're honest, we would have to say, what I need is for my hunger for God to be awakened. Because you, you, you've set this rhythm in your life and you've built a life where you aren't hungering for God. And some of you this morning need your hunger to be awakened. And some of you are hungering for God. You know you need this fresh move of him through your life. And, and prayer is not only the means by which that hunger is awakened in us, it is the means by which he satisfies it. 
It is the way we connect to the source of power. This is why we see all over God's Word um, this call to pray. God's Word says to pray continually, to pray constantly, to pray believing, to pray in the Spirit, to pray steadfastly, to pray earnestly, to pray privately, and to pray corporately, to pray in community, because if we want to experience a fresh move of God in our lives and in our church, we have to become a people who are marked by corporate and private prayer. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching his people what it means to pray, how to pray, and he primarily does this by telling them what not to do. And so we're going to look at four statements that I'm praying will kind of help us clarify um, prayer for us, and, and let's see what Jesus has to say. Here's the first thing I think we notice. Prayer is not optional. It is essential to the life of the believer. Jesus expects his disciples to pray regularly. Just like with giving, just like with fasting, there is an expectation, almost an assumption from our Lord and Savior that we will do this. We will do this. You see it in the first part of verse 5, the first part of verse 7, the first part of verse 9. He says, and when you pray, and when you pray, then pray like this. This first point is not complicated. It is simple. Prayer is not optional. Believer, listen, healthy kingdom citizens will have a healthy rhythm of prayer in their life. It is a, it is a way by which you can diagnose your spiritual health. Do you have a healthy rhythm of prayer in your life? If the answer is no, then there is a spiritual condition that needs to be dealt with. A healthy kingdom citizens, those who have a healthy relationship with God, have a healthy rhythm of prayer. Jesus sets prayer as this expectation. Here's why. Because he knows that in our spiritual lives, there is nothing more vital to us. Nothing is more vital than prayer. It is, you may have heard me say this before, it is our spiritual breathing in and breathing out. Prayer is the inhaling and the exhaling of our spiritual lives. I looked it up. The average human can hold their breath for 30 seconds. That's about it. I think I could hold my breath for several of those 30 seconds. I don't know if I'd get all of them. I'd get a few of them, though. Um, but none of us could or would go more than a minute without inhaling and exhaling. And yet, listen, in our spiritual lives, we may go days, weeks, months without really praying. And we have taken this thing that Jesus has said is absolutely vital, and we've allowed it to become vulnerable in our life. Jesus sets this as an expectation because he knows the most vital thing that we need is also prone to become one of the most vulnerable things in our life, meaning that when we get busy, it goes away. Meaning that when we get distracted, when, um, when it becomes a labor to pray, when we aren't getting the immediate payoff of that prayer. I remember when I was in my younger believing years, I would pray for a thing, and if that thing didn't happen, I'd be like, well, I'm done, moving on, right? But 
There was, there's this thing that's missing, I think, in the life of some believers to labor in prayer, to be willing to pray over the thing until God moves in the thing. And so prayer becomes vulnerable because we get busy, because we, get, we have never been more distracted as a human race than we are right now. But Jesus is saying this vital thing cannot be vulnerable. It cannot be optional. It's absolutely essential. And we see this in the life of Christ. Not just in his words, but in his actions. We see it in Luke chapter 5. It said Jesus would draw away to desolate places. In Mark chapter 1, it said he would get up before it was light and he would separate himself and he would go off and he would pray. We see it in Matthew chapter 4, where before Jesus began his earthly ministry, he went out into the desert and what did he do for 40 days? He prayed and fasted. We see this vitality, or excuse me, we see this necessity of prayer, if you will, in the life of Christ in the garden. As he is preparing to endure the cross, what does he do? He takes his 12 and he gets into the garden and then he takes the three that are closest and he goes even deeper in the garden and then he separates himself from there and he begins to pray before the Lord. Why? Why even the Son of God who has perfect fellowship with the Father? Why did he need this? Because Jesus needed this refreshing. Even he had this desperate need for an ongoing rhythm of prayer in his life because Jesus understood the priority of engaging with God before he engaged with anything or anyone else. It was vital to him. And if it was vital to the Lord, it cannot be optional for us. Amen? This rhythm cannot be optional. It is an absolute necessity. Jesus prayed regularly because he knew where his source of power came from. He knew where he was plugged in. He needed God's presence. He needed to be renewed regularly. Listen, a regular rhythm of prayer. When we set prayer as a regular rhythm in our lives, we begin to experience the presence of God regularly. If you need to engage God's presence regularly in your life, then pray regularly. That's, this, is what, this is what Jesus did. He needed that, that regular connection. And here's why. Because prayer will renew and focus and clarify our view of God. It changes how I see God. It makes room for him to, to move in my life. Not only does it change how I see God, but listen, God uses prayer to clarify my view of myself. Are you with me? It changes how I see me and how I see the circumstances around me. I call that divine perspective. What is divine perspective? Divine perspective is the vision to see every obstacle and circumstance through the lens of God's sovereignty. How many of you have an issue in your life right now where you need to put on the lenses of God's sovereignty and remember that he is in control and that the Lord of the universe sees that issue and has victory for you in it? Right? How do we put on the lenses of God's sovereignty and get that divine perspective and get a right view of him and a right view of ourselves and a right view of this circumstance? We do it through prayer. 
Because in prayer, this is where I find my vision for God clarifies, my passion for God intensifies, and my faith in God solidifies. This is what prayer does in us. Now, prayer clarifies my view of God. It renews, it clarifies my view of myself. But here's something else it does. It clarifies our view of others. It changes how I see you. It changes how you see me. It changes how I see all of my relationships, the healthy ones, the broken ones, the ones that are thriving, the ones that are struggling, my relationship with my wife, with my children, with my coworkers. Prayer renews my vision for those around me. I've been reading a book by a man named Leonard Ravenhill, an absolute champion for prayer, and he said this, I've noticed in my prayer life that I do not gossip about the people for whom I pray. And I do not pray for the people about whom I gossip. (laughs) Leonard Ravenhill is saying, I've noticed that the people I pray for, God changes how I view them and all of a sudden I can't talk about them anymore. I can't gossip about them. But the people I'm gossiping about, those are the people I'm not praying for. Why? It changes our view of each other. It clarifies our view. This prayer, this rhythm of prayer has to be a regular rhythm in our life. Listen, so before the day begins, before you engage anything else, engage God in prayer. Before your day ends, engage God in prayer. Before you leave your home, before you go to work and before you go to school, Yes, before you eat so that your heart is reoriented toward gratitude and thanksgiving. But listen, sometimes before you send that text, you need to pray. Before you post that comment, hello, you need to pray. Because some of y'all put some stuff on social media and it gives me permanent eyes crossed. I'm not going to lie. Right? Need to... Before that hard meeting, before the doctor's visit, before you visit that friend in trouble. You need, this is not optional. It is absolutely essential to the life of the believer. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing I think we see. Prayer is not for the praise of man, but for intimacy with God. It's not for the praise of men, but intimacy with God. The aim of prayer is nothing less than the heart of God. That's the aim of prayer, that I would pursue and know the heart of God. Look at what Jesus says in verse 5 and 6. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Something I find very interesting in these verses where Jesus is talking about fasting and giving and praying, there's 18 verses here in Matthew chapter 6 where he deals with these things, and 10 times in those 18 verses, he uses the word Father, your Father, our Father. This, and the reason I think he does it over and over again, and the reason is because whether we are giving 
fasting, or praying before those things are for anything else. They are for pursuing the heart of the Father. That's their purpose, to pursue the heart. This is about intimacy with God. And church, I think sometimes we forget that he is our father, and he is a good father. He is not like our earthly fathers, even the good ones. I think there is a struggle so many times for us to connect with our heavenly father because we see him through the lens of our earthly father. And that just wasn't healthy. Dads, I want to tell you something. Whether you have little ones at home, whether they're teenagers like mine, or whether they're grown and gone and have babies of their own, you never stop forming the foundation for your children in how they ought to see their heavenly Father. And even as I say that, with my sons in the room, I know there's times I've absolutely blown it. I've blown it. And so many times we see our heavenly father through the relationship of our earthly father. But I want you to hear me tell you some things about your heavenly father. First is this. He cannot stop being good to you. He cannot stop being true to you. He cannot stop being faithful to you. He will not stop keeping his promises to you. He will not stop loving you and holding on to you. So our hope and our confidence and our faith and our trust is built on his character and built on his nature and built on his goodness, meaning that even on my worst days, I can come into his presence and when I extend my hand in need, he doesn't slap it away. But instead, he receives me. Believer, hear this this morning. Your father sees you and receives you. For some of you, when your earthly father saw you mess up, he stopped receiving. You felt rejected. You felt put out. Your heavenly father says, I see you. But I don't see you the way he saw you. I see you and I accept you. I see you and I receive you. We are sons and daughters, which means, church, we have acceptance. We have assurance. We've been, and and above those, we have access. We have access to the Lord. This is absolutely transformative for our prayer life that we would see our Father as not disappointed in us, as not angry with us, but as the good Father who knows on our best day we come with nothing to offer. He says, I see that, I know that, and I receive you. You have access, you are accepted, and you can come assured. And while I find that truth absolutely staggering, it is the foundation upon which I build a meaningful prayer life. Prayer is for intimacy with our Father. Listen, which means this, it's not about performance. 
Prayer is not about performance. It's not for the praise of men. Again, it is the pursuit of the heart of God. This is the difference between the posturing of religion and the power of relationship. This is the difference between religious posturing and the pursuit of of a relationship with God. Jesus, by the way, is not condemning public prayer. I know he says, go to your room, shut the door, but Jesus prayed publicly all the time. He called his disciples to pray publicly. He told us to pray in the gathering together. So he isn't condemning public prayer. He's condemning those who only pray publicly. He's condemning those who have a public prayer life and no private prayer life. Because if you pray publicly and not privately, that's hypocrisy. Jesus is saying, I'm condemning the ones who only pray so others can see them and hear them. So he points out the religious leaders who, by the way, were experts in religious posturing. They prayed three times a day and they would schedule those prayers so that as they walked out into the city... They would find themselves at the busiest intersections at the busiest time of day, and they would pray loudly with their hands lifted and their faces tilted toward heaven, and they would perform their prayers. And Jesus is saying that's exactly what they're doing. They're performers on a stage. They're hypocrites. They're more concerned with the religious posturing than they are with the relationship with God And while they are an easy target, listen, church, let's be honest. This is an issue for us. Amen? This is an issue here. We battle the sin of religious posturing. And it is absolutely deadly to our spiritual lives. It's deadly. It's deadly because the reward of religious posturing is the admiration of man. And you get that reward immediately and in full. Meaning, if you pray to be seen, you're seen. If you pray to be heard, you're heard. If you pray to be honored by men, you get honored by men. If you pray to get noticed, you're noticed. And that is the full reward of posturing. It is immediate, it is addictive, and it is lethal to your walk with the Lord. Prayer is not about the posture of religion. It is about the power of the intimate relationship with God. Which means if you pray to get the ear of man, you get the ear of man. But if you pray to get the heart of God, you get the heart of God. Because you're a son and daughter and you're accepted and you're received. So Jesus says, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. This is encountering him. This is spending time with him. And the more familiar we become with him in prayer, the deeper and richer our relationship with him becomes. I've known Carrie for 24 years. I've been married to her for 22 years. I knew that I loved her for 23 and a half of those 24 years that I've known her. The day we got married, I loved her even more. But now I'm 22 years into marriage and I love her more today than I did 22 years ago. Why? Because I know her more today than I did 22 years ago. I know that lady and she knows me. And the more I know her, the more I love her. I've had my children 
My daughter's 20, my sons are 16. I've had them all these years and I loved them with an unspeakable love the day they were born, but I love them more now than I did then. Why? Because of time, because of investment in the relationship, because I know them more. And the same is true in our relationship with God. Do you need a love for God to reawaken in your life? The only way you get that is the way you get intimacy in any relationship you have. Time in. Spend time with him. Spend time with him. And watch that love for him begin to grow. And as that love grows, you want to spend more time. And as you spend more time, you know him more. As you know him more, you love him more. As you love him more, you spend more time with him. And prayer becomes vital. It becomes something that gives you joy. It becomes something you refuse to miss. It becomes absolutely essential to your life. Here's the next thing. Prayer is not about eloquence of speech, but sincerity of heart. Jesus desires honesty, not performance. It's about eloquence of speech. Excuse me. It's not about eloquence of speech, but sincerity of heart. Look at what he says in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Jesus goes from telling them not to pray like the Pharisees, like the religious leaders, and now he's saying, don't pray like the pagans. What do I mean? The culture of Jesus' day was highly religious. Uh, it was a culture of innumerable gods. They had a God for everything, but these gods were distant. They were far off. They were uninterested, and the people were lived in absolute fear of them. And this was reflected in how they prayed. So they would often pray these long, lengthy, rehearsed chants, going through this list of names, trying their best to get some God's attention and approval so they could be heard. And their prayers were filled with empty phrases and many words. But let's just be honest about, about our prayers. Who else is guilty with me? If y'all leave me hanging, I'm going to be furious. Who else is guilty with me of feeling like in your praying, it has to have the right exact words. You have to find the right words or it doesn't count. Anybody else? You just... rest of you liars, I'm furious. <laughs> right? We feel like our words have to sound a certain way or they have to hit some standard of spiritual quality. And if we don't hit that mark, God isn't interested. Which is why, listen, all of my life, I was born and raised in East Texas. I told you, I was born in Gilmer when there used to be a hospital here. I was born, raised right in this area. Okay, so I know how people from East Texas talk because I talk like somebody from East Texas. So I grew up around people and the way we talk, we're country, is who we are. I love every minute of it. But I will tell you this, I also grew up with people who talked like they were from East Texas in normal conversation until they started praying and then all of a sudden they prayed the King James Version of the Bible. You know what I mean? All of a sudden they spoke perfect 15th century English. And I was like, is this guy auditioning for Downton Abbey or something? What is this guy doing? Right? You just have this, 
Y'all know what I'm talking, am I lying right now or am I telling the truth, right? You've got these people that sound like Bubba and Earl until they start praying and I'm like, he just went from Larry the Cable Guy to sounding like he is, he is do- petitioning before the royal court for something. And I'm like, what are we doing? What is it? That's performance. We're performing a prayer. That is, that is a prayer to be heard by the ears of men, not in pursuit of the heart of God. Either that or, or their voice would drop an entire octave and they would turn into James Earl Jones when they prayed. <laughs> oh, that happened too, all the time. So there was this belief. There is this belief among us that we need the right formula of words and the right lofty language. And here's what happens when we do that. We turn our prayer into some sort of magical incantation. But Jesus is saying, no, your prayer is not some kind of magical recitation. And you aren't heard for your many words. And you aren't heard for your lofty phrases. You are heard because you are a son and a daughter, because you have been given access because you've been accepted, because you are seen and you are received. And from that position of acceptance, we get to sincerely pour out our hearts to the Father. Prayer is given to us as the means by which we get to sincerely pour out our inner thoughts, pour out our honest struggles, pour out our unknown fears. We get to do this in prayer, it isn't a performance, it isn't a rehearsed script. It is the outpouring of my heart to the Father who sees and loves and is in pursuit of my heart. So the greatest encouragement that I can give you if you're looking for how do I pray better is to pray more. Pray more. Spend time more. Carve out the moment in your day that nothing else gets to touch. If you want to pray better, pray more. Listen, this is why the prayer gathering on Wednesday nights is absolutely become my favorite 90 minutes of my week. You want to know why? If you've come, you know this is true. If you haven't, believe me when I tell you, here's what your church is doing. We're learning how to pray together. That's what we're doing. We're learning how to pray together. I have said multiple times on those Wednesday night gatherings, I'm not sure I know what I'm doing, but I am sure I know I want the heart of the Father. And so if you need to learn how to pray, get here Wednesday night at 630. Come and hear the stories of answered prayer and let that become the jet fuel in your life to pray more. It's not about eloquence of speech, but sincerity of heart. Here's the last thing. Prayer is not informing God. It is an act of dependence on Him. Prayer is not informing God. It is an act of dependence on him. The fruit of prayer is humility. Jesus says in verse 8, Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. 
He knows what you need before you act. This is where the real power of prayer begins to come in. I don't pray because God is uninformed about my needs. Prayer doesn't inform God of anything. Did you realize God has never made a discovery? (laughs) He's never been like, oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. He's never made a discovery. He knows everything. He knows our needs. In fact, he knows them better than we do. How many of you right now are thankful that God did not answer the prayer you prayed in high school to marry that knucklehead? Right? Just, oh, thank you, Lord. Appreciate that one. Thought I knew what I needed. Didn't know what I needed. (laughs) Thought I knew what I wanted. I was wrong. Right? How many of you are thankful for those? Why? Because he knows what you need. He knows what you need. Better than you know what you need need. It doesn't inform of anything. So the question is, why pray? If God knows everything that we need, why pray? And here's the reason, because God has ordained prayer to be the means by which the needs that he knows we have can be met by his divine power. Prayer is the means by which God is given so that the needs he knows we have can be met by his divine power. It is the thing he's given for this. Because in this posture of dependence, we, our will becomes conformed to his will. The things suddenly I shouldn't long for in my heart, he begins to put out a flavor. He begins to shift my heart away from the things that I should not pursue toward what he's wanting me to pursue. He begins to conform my will to his will. And in that, there is, I begin to receive blessing and provision and discernment and direction in my life. The truth is God has an answer and provision for every need that we have, but it, he has ordained a prayer to be the means by which he meets it. Somebody needs to hear me say this. God has an answer and a provision for every need you have. Every one of them. But he has given prayer as the means by which he wants to meet that need. That's why we have it. It's why he's given it. This posture of dependence um, reminds us who meets our need. It reminds us who fights our battles. It reminds us who wins our wars. Listen, Jesus knows every battle you face. He knows every way the enemy comes at you. He knows every war you need to win. And praying from this posture of dependence positions me to be completely reliant on the victory I have in Jesus and not on my strength to fix it. I have waged into enough battles with the enemy and lost because I weighed weighed into that battle believing whatever I had in my own strength and in my own discipline was enough to overcome it. But the reality is prayer is given to us as the means by which we tap into the victory that Jesus has already won for us, which means 
I don't have to pray for victory over the enemy. I simply have to receive the victory Christ has already won. He defeated him 2,000 years ago, and the enemy is defeated now and forever completely. So that when I pray, I pray as a means by which I take hold of that victory. It's the means by which the reality of greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world becomes true for me. It's the means by which I begin to understand that I am more than a conqueror. It's the way that I begin to take hold of the truth that I can take heart because even though in this world I will have trouble, Christ has overcome the world. I can't grab those realities in my strength. Prayer is the means by which I take hold of that victory. So listen, so that every time, every time Satan comes against us in temptation to sin, oh, and he knows, he knows, he knows where the weak spot is, doesn't he? He knows. He is crafty. He knows the right where every weak spot is. And every time he comes against us in temptation to sin, every time he comes against us in the heartache of a broken relationship, every time he comes against us in our struggle for peace and joy, every time he comes against us in our battle to believe, every time we are tempted to despair, tempted to lose faith, tempted to diminish our devotion, tempted to compromise our integrity, tempted to divide our loyalty, tempted to cover our testimony, or tempted to claim God's glory every time we wade out into the battle with our enemy. Prayer reminds me, positions me, that I come to that battle having already won, not because I'm victorious, but because Jesus is alive and he is defeated. This positions me for victory. This is why Paul said something that still just makes the back of my head melt off. Paul had these ways of saying things. He said, this is why I can know that when I am weak, then I am strong. That doesn't make sense. What do you mean? What Paul was saying is when I get into a position of weakness... When I get into the position of dependence, that's when real strength invades my life. Paul is saying every time I try to be strong, that's when how weak I really am gets put on display. But when I accept the reality of my dependence on the Father, that is when His strength and his victory, and, and his power, and his provision, and his presence in my life becomes real. And then I've gained a strength that I do not have inside myself. Well, how do I plug into that source? We do it through prayer. And there is no other way. There is no other way. Church, I want to remind you, God has more answers than you have questions. <laughs> Isn't that good news? God has more blessings than you have burdens. And he has more provision than you have problems. And his presence is available and ready to meet you with those questions, to meet you in those burdens, and to meet you in those problems so he can pour out answers 
and blessings and provision on your life. So, this morning, here's my encouragement. The most important prayer you will ever pray will be the first real prayer you pray, which is, Lord Jesus, would you save me from my sin? There is no prayer you will pray more important than that. And I know there are some of you in this room who have not made Jesus the Lord of your life. You're here because you're just here. You just, this is just what you do on Sundays. But if I were to ask you, tell me about when Jesus changed your life, you wouldn't be able to do it. And if that's you this morning, I just want you to hear me, hear me say this in love. God wants to meet you there. He wants to hear that first prayer of Jesus. I am a sinner and I need a savior. Would you come into my life and save me from my sin and make me new again? He wants to hear that first prayer from you today. And so in just a moment, we're going to stand and Philip and the team are, are going to lead us and sing. And if that's you, I just want you to just come grab one of us. Let us pray that prayer with you. Or you pray that prayer right in your seat and then you tell somebody that you prayed that prayer and that Jesus has made you new. And for some of you, for some of us, we need to acknowledge today that we have allowed prayer to be optional in our life. And we have been holding our breath spiritually, spiritually suffocating because we are not leaning in to the breathing in and breathing out of prayer in our relationship with God. Do you need your hunger for God awakened? If that's you, the only way to get that is prayer. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And as you stand, our team is going to come down. And as Philip and the team sing, whatever it is that you need to do, I'm just asking you to step out and move. Father, we love you. Holy Spirit, we trust you. And we need you. Would you speak to our hearts and move among us in Jesus' name. Amen.